Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Read with me tonight. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You may be seated. When our Lord was talking to Mary and Martha, when he was at the home with them in Bethany, a place where he loved to be because he was so welcome, he spent quite a bit of time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he looked at Martha one day and he said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. I believe our Lord's address to Martha would fit a lot of us tonight. Careful and troubled about many things. And I want to preach tonight on the subject of worry. The subject of worry. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. I ask you, God, to give us grace and strength as we stand here. We thank you, God, for those who have stood for us in the last few services and helped us. And you know my desire, Lord, is to deliver the word of God. I may not be able to do it as I ordinarily do, but Lord, it's the truth of God that has the power in it. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the way you've dealt with my heart. You know how often I've struggled with this problem in my own life spiritually. I thank you, God, that we can have seasons of victory when there are times when our mind is plagued, our heart is troubled, our soul is bewildered. I'm so thankful, God, that we can have the peace that passes all understanding and the faith in the God who saved us from sin and hell to bring us through whatever valley or battle or trial we might be facing at the moment. I pray that you would add your blessing to the words and teach us and touch us and help us to know how far to go in this study tonight. We'll thank you for it, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. When I think about this subject tonight, I'm preaching on what is probably one of the most common problems among Christians today in this hour. In fact, it's possible that there's not one person that's not grappled with it even today. Things have come to you and you have begun to fret and to ponder and to worry about things in your life. In fact, it's possible for us to say that worry has bothered most of us in the Christian life. You and I have to grapple with it at times. Some of you are fighting great battles with your physical health. Some of us may be just one doctor's visit away from getting the worst news that we've ever heard in our lives. And while you're there at the hospital or at the doctor's office and they are going through all the battery of tests, they have all these sticky things on you that feel fine going on, but they don't feel really that good when they have to come off. And then there's the phlebotomist that comes in and she's instructing the young girl and telling her all how to do it. 
And after she has stuck you the third time, she says, uh, I believe I'm going to have to get somebody else. And I say, thank you very much, ma'am. Amen. But a lot of us have been down those roads maybe more times than we'd be willing to admit tonight. But worry is bothering most of us. And it's probably one of the most common problems. It's not a mistake in the Christian life. It becomes a sin against God. It's besetting to every one of us. Since it comes to us and troubles our mind and bewilders our heart, it also besets us in the Christian life. It hinders us. When your mind is worried and your heart is playing, it's difficult sometimes to pray, even though you need to pray. It's difficult to read the scriptures and sometimes to find the help that you need. And so it begins to hinder our progress in the Christian life. It does a lot of things to us. It ties our stomach in knots. It it creases our brow. It makes us irritable. Sometimes it keeps you up late at night. And then it also leaves you feeling empty and hopeless and miserable. And we're told that our English word for worry is from a high German word that is worgen, W-U-R-G-E-N. The word comes from the word worgen, which means to strangle. That is, worry begins to strangle us in the Christian life. It wraps its hands around us and begins to choke the life out of us or the breath out of us. It stifles us from within. Have you ever had some physical problem that left you short of breath? When my heart got out of rhythm years ago and my wife took me to the hospital in the middle of the night, I woke up in the wee hours of the morning and I said, I'm having trouble breathing because my heart would beat and then it would stop and then it would start over again and then it would beat erratically. My body was having trouble pumping blood and I was having trouble breathing and I felt like I was being stifled in my physical body. But worry does the same thing. It begins to choke the spiritual breath out of us and stifle us from within. And it takes the joy out of life and it takes the smile off your face and it takes away from us the things that make life pleasurable. So when we're worrying, we're strangling ourselves in the Christian life in such a way that both physically and spiritually it's difficult to thrive when you and I are worrying. I heard about a fella, he had a friend, his name was Jim. His, his friend Bill called him Worrying Jim. Every time you saw him, he had something that he was worried about. He never smiled, he never laughed. He didn't have much pleasure in life. And a Worrying Jim was headed down the street and Bill was coming the other way and he looked over there and he saw he saw Jim finally with a smile on his face. He, he said, my soul, what has happened? And he was actually whistling a song. He crossed over and he said, Jim, he said, what happened to you? He said, you're happy. He said, I, I found a solution. He said, what is it? He said, well, he said, I hired a man to do all my worrying for me. He said, really? He said, yeah. He said, how, how much does he charge? He said, well, 
He said he had charged me a thousand dollars a week to do all my worrying. He said, oh, my soul. He said, he said, I'd be worried about paying it. He said, well, that's his worry. Amen. But a lot of us sadly have been in Jim's shoes, maybe more than we'd really desire to admit. A Johns Hopkins University doctor said, we don't know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but that is a fact. Why should you and I as Christians who have been born of God, who have the very God of glory and the person of Christ living on the inside of us, why should we go through our lives gasping for breath and doubting the very God who loved us enough to send his son to die for us and doubting the God who has sealed us with the Holy Ghost until the day of redemption. Why should you and I gasp for breath throughout the Christian life when God is real and Jesus is our dearest friend? Why should we continue to live our lives in this malady of worry? Our Lord knew all about human nature and about our problems before we would ever arrive here. And in Matthew chapter six, he reveals that we're not to worry in this chapter. In fact, he tells us in Matthew six, verse 25 through 34, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. And he said in verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? He said in verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Verse number 28, I missed this one. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Verse 34, take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So our Lord knows exactly what you and I are worrying about. And if it's not found in the list, there's quite a few here things that we worry about. In verse 25, we worry about our life. Take no thought for your life. Well, the Bible said when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. The Bible tells us in verse 27, he said, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? I remember that one of the greatest Christians I've ever known was just a little lady that was less than five feet tall. And she might have desired to be tall like you, but I'm telling you there's something about that old praying saint that could reach heaven from her knees. Hallelujah. Why do we worry about our appearance? Why do we worry about fashion? Verse 28. Why take you thought for raiment? Verse 31. Take no thought about what we eat or drink or how we're clothed, our food and our necessities. And then verse 34. Take no thought for tomorrow. Some of us are even here tonight worrying about what's going to take place tomorrow. And I want to get you to remember tonight, remember this, that today is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. And here we are at another day. How is it that it overtakes us? We begin to grapple with a situation and maybe something happened today or yesterday 
a problem arose, a disagreement, a misunderstanding. And so now you've been trying to sort it all out mentally and you're finding yourself rehearsing the various aspects. And at the outset, you probably already know that you're right. I just didn't realize you were always right. Amen. But you've been going over the details and you've been thinking about what you should have said or what you should have done. And now you're worrying and you're fretting and you're all tore up about this whole thing when you really need to be praying and walking with God and trusting that into the hands of the Lord. Then sometimes we begin to imagine and fear things that haven't even happened. One husband said to his wife one time, now, you stop that worrying. That has never solved anything in our home. She said, oh, yes, it has. 90% of the stuff I've worried over have never taken place. (laughs) So we begin to imagine and fear, and we feel like we're doomed to face the things that we dread the most. How many of them have we cataloged and realized that a lot of that stuff has never come to pass and we're still grappling with it? And sometimes we worry when we take on responsibilities that are not ours. Sometimes people get involved in someone else's business and when they do, they begin to suffer. The Bible said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other man's matters. How many of us are suffering today because we put our nose in where it did not belong? Sometimes we are trying to take on things that are too great for us to fulfill. And you and I know all about that, don't we? In our hurry and worry society. So what is it that's so wrong about worry? Now, preacher, you know we're all guilty of it. Yeah, I know I'm guilty of it. I can't speak for you, but I know I'm guilty of it. So I've been grappling with it as to why and what the scripture says I should do about this thing of worry. Let me say that worry is irreverent because of how it treats God. A lot of times when we start to worry, the problem is all on our hands. It's up to us to fix this whole problem, right? No, it's really not. Many times we begin to grapple with it and I'm afraid that we enter into practical atheism. Now, none of us here tonight would confess that we don't believe in God. But I'm afraid that when we begin to grapple with our problems and worry over them, we act like, regardless of what we say, that the God we are supposed to be trusting really does not exist. Help us here, Lord. In other words, we're living as if the God we talked about on Sunday really is not the God that we are dealing with today. I'm simply saying this when you and I are living in such a way that we are worrying our way through every challenge of life. We're acting as if the God who loved us and saved us really does not exist at all. In other words, he he has really no power in this instance in your life. This is something that 
you're going to have to wing it on your own. Not really. In other words, the God that saves you from hell and keeps you for all eternity, he either does not exist or he has no power or he's not going to exercise it on your behalf. Well, I want to ask you about this God we're talking about. Before this problem, wasn't God still an omniscient God? Isn't he still an omniscient God? Now what that means is he has all knowledge about all things at all times. So it means that this problem that you're facing did not catch him off guard. It did not surprise him. Now, there have been a lot of things that have been a surprise to me, but nothing has ever surprised God. Dr. Seitler used to say, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Hallelujah. You and I serve a God that he knew about whatever you're facing tonight, whatever you worried about yesterday that you drug in today, he knew about that. And I'm not saying that in an accusatory way. I'm simply saying that I forget it as often maybe or more so than anyone here. But our God knew about this problem before we ever faced it. Sitting here thinking about camp meeting time several years back. And I had my wife and grandma in the car and we were going down the road and She's not often on the phone. My wife really doesn't care much about a cell phone. I really believe if we could use a cup and a string, both of us would be fine. But we were on our way to the camp meeting, and one of them said, well, I hope it don't rain. The other one said, I hope we can make it safe. I said, would you stop worrying? We're on the way now. And a little ways down the highway here, I heard something hit up in the wheel well. And my wife said, oh, I wonder what that was. I said, I don't know, but it didn't sound good. Whatever it was, the tire picked it up, slung it up into the wheel well, which means it stuck to the tire. It actually stuck into the tire. And we got down the highway a ways later, and all of a sudden the sound started coming from the back. She said, wonder what that is. I said, well, we're having a flat tire. <laughs> didn't take God by surprise. Took us by surprise. Then our God, before these problems come in our life, our God is also an omnipresent God. That means he's everywhere at the same time. Don't you wish you could be? Sometimes you have those days when you feel like you need to be everywhere at the same time, but none of us are. God is everywhere present. He doesn't have to go anywhere to get there. In fact, when you get there, he's already there. When you come to that valley, you'll find he's already there. And I'm thankful our God is an omnipresent God. But sometimes you may be saying in your heart, Lord, I know you're omnipresent. Not only that, you're living in me, but I can't feel you at all. Can I remind you tonight that even if you can't feel him, he is still there. Then our Lord before and during and after every problem, he's an omnipotent God. And I say that realizing how sick some of our church family are. And the Lord doesn't always choose to heal. But I know that ultimately we will have healing. 
I know that I'm going to have a brand new body someday. The wore out parts, hallelujah, won't matter because I'm going to have a body like unto his glorious body. We're asking God, Lord, if you're all powerful, why don't you do something now? He may not choose to do anything at the moment and we can't really understand all his ways. Sometimes we try to interpret the providence that comes to our lives and others. Sadly, we fall short of what God wants us to learn in it all. Isn't it comforting to know that the Lord who guides us sees tomorrow more clearly than you can see yesterday. He knows exactly what you're facing. You indulge in worry, our faith is indulged in our fear rather than in our heavenly father. There's been a lot of men, I believe, that have left statements for us. And Hudson Taylor is one of them, the great missionary to China. Here's what he said we ought to do. Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all right in the God's hand. And then when we've given all over to him, there'll be nothing left for us to be troubled about. So worry is irreverent because of how it treats God. So your problem is not too big for God, is it? It may be too big for you, but it's not too big for God. Not only is worry irreverent, but worry is irresponsible because of how it addresses and invests time. Worry is a waste of time. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. You say, I'm not prone to worry. Well, pray for a whole lot of the rest of us because we really need some help from God. Worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. It's simply a waste of time. Worry can't empty you of the sorrow that you're feeling. It can't bring you joy. It can't solve your problems. But it can drain you of the strength you have to face it through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it becomes an irresponsible way of dealing with your problem. First of all, you and I have to refuse carefulness. The Bible said be careful for nothing. So there's a warning against worry here in the Bible. The word careful does not mean a wise foresight. It's not necessary sense of responsibility. It's not an honest caution. There's a word carefulness in the Bible that refers to that. This word refers to being anxious, being worried and careful refers to an anxious care or worrying over a problem. No worry has ever gotten anyone closer to God. In fact, Webster said to worry means to tease, to trouble with importunity, with care and anxiety, to fatigue, to harass with labor. So worry is unnecessary anxiety. Be careful for what? What's the next word? What is it? So you're worried about what? That is, we're not to worry over one 
single thing. Is anybody else under conviction besides me? I'm not to worry over one single thing. You and I are to worry about nothing and pray about every single thing that would bring care to our hearts and rob us of the peace and joy of God. If anything troubles us in the Christian life enough to fill our hearts with care, then we ought to bring it to God in prayer and linger till he leads us through it with supplication. So if I put my care in God's hands, you know what he said he would do? He said he would put his peace in my heart. Years ago, my wife and I were at the hospital with our youngest child. We were going through an ordeal. It's a long story, not worth really sharing here tonight, but we were there in the hospital, and I felt like the devil was on this shoulder and a whole lot of his friends were over on this shoulder. And I mean, I was going through it in my mind and in my heart. And through that time of agony in my own heart, I could almost hear the Lord saying to Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. So you and I are bothered about some of those things tonight. And you say, I, my nerves is all tore up. Well, I want to ask you this. Is it your problem or is it God's problem? It's a lot easier to say that than it is to live it. But we certainly do need to live it. In fact, a lot of us are involved in this bothersome thing. Something we cannot even, even describe. We're concerned about something that we cannot do anything about and we can't even be certain what the outcome is going to be. Nevertheless, we spend our time worrying about it. So the sin of worry is a battle in our hearts. It comes to us daily, doesn't it? A lot of us have struggled with some issue or some problem or some difficulty. I was going back in my mind in the last several days and I thought about I thought about all the people of our church, including uh, my, own, my own mother and father who have been through these memory issues. Thought about the many days I sat beside my mother's bed and we spent day after day after day together. I thought about all the things she went through and I thought about how it affected my heart. I sat across from her in the cafeteria one day and she looked at me and she said, Tommy, I know I'm losing my mind but I don't know what to do about it. And I went up the hall that day and the tears came down my cheeks before I could even get to the car. And I said, Lord, I've got another burden I need to cast on you. I watched her suffer. I watched the paranoia and the fear take over her life. I saw things happen that let me trust God in a greater way than I've ever trusted him. I didn't want to take that course, but the Lord enrolled me in it. But a lot of us are facing problems tonight, battles with it. We might say all of us are on some days participators in the battle against worry. Some of us here tonight practice a pattern of worry. Sometimes we get in that vicious cycle where we're imagining and our mind is, has a plethora of different things that it's almost like it's an endless battle mentally as the things come to us that we're grappling with. And sometimes we even become prisoners of our own fears and our own anxiety. 
One preacher said the average person crucifies himself between two thieves, the regret of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. So worry is not only irreverent because of how it treats God, it's irresponsible because of how it invests time. It's a waste of time. Somebody said, well, you know, I'm not happy if I'm not worrying. I don't see how you can be happy if you are worrying. Then thirdly, worry is irrelevant because of how it treats faith. That old prayer war used to say something. I've got a quote here by George Mueller. She would say, if we're praying, we're not worrying. And if we're worrying, we're not praying. That's what she would say. George Mueller said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. So you and I have to hear the four most powerful words that Jesus said while he was here on this earth. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Have faith in God. None of us have to be a prisoner to it, but a lot of us have been taken captive by this malady of worry. I'm saying tonight that you and I have to trust God even when we don't understand. The Bible said multiple times, starts in the book of Habakkuk and three times in the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. So if I understand the Bible right, faith is the beginning of our life and then it's the principle that works all the way through until faith becomes sight. Am I right? All right. So we're to live by faith. Vance Havner said, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but you surely won't get anywhere. I'm ashamed to admit I've been in that rocking chair more times than I really want to confess tonight. Moving back and forth in one place, but not getting anywhere. Worry becomes an irrelevant way to seek to address whatever problem or dilemma with which we are faced. Worry never climbed a hill. Worry never paid a bill. Worry never dried a tear. Worry never calmed a fear. Worry never fixed a hill. Worry never cooked a meal. Worry never composed a song to sing. Actually, worry never did a worthwhile thing. So Paul tells us what to do with it. You know what he says to do? Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer. But in everything by prayer. First of all, bring it to God. Bring it to God. Now, the Lord's been reminding me this day after day when I've been laid aside, couldn't talk, just my Bible, my prayer list, seeking God. It's amazing what you can see in days like that. You can bring it to God. You don't have to explain it to God. Sometimes I get caught up in trying to explain it to God. Then I catch myself and say, wait a minute. I don't need to explain it to God. I just need to bring it to him. In fact, a lot of it I don't really understand. Sometimes the best Christians I've ever met 
are people that are sick and afflicted and hindered. And, and I say, God, I don't understand cancer. I, I don't understand about this. I don't understand why this person has to go through this. But I bring it to God. I don't understand chemo. I don't understand radiation. I know more about it than I really want to know. But I just bring it to God. I don't know what I'm going to have to face before I make it home. I was thinking about a a preacher friend from years ago. And just in the last few months has gone on to heaven. One of the greatest preachers I've ever known. I was thinking about him the other day. Preached one of the first revivals I ever had in the first pastor. And I got to thinking about him the other day. He and I are just a few years apart in our age. Our children are pretty close to the same age as, as well. And just a few weeks back, his wife has been very sickly and going through all types of health challenges. And he's had to cancel some meetings and stay with her. And then all of a sudden, one night, they think an aneurysm and he went on to heaven. And I'm still scratching my head saying, Lord, we needed him. And sometimes we worry, but we ought to bring it to God. Bring it to God in prayer. In everything by prayer and what else? Supplication. If you'll stay with God over that issue and stay before God in lengthy and sometimes consistent prayer, one of the most challenging things to do is pray for someone lost or saved, not just for days or weeks or months, but for years, especially if they're lost. It's a real challenge. And so a lot of people really don't understand. Well, shouldn't we be doing something? Yes, we have been. We have been, but there are some things only God can do. There's a seed to be sown and there's prayers to be prayed, but then there comes supplication where you learn to pray about it specifically. And not only that, you have confidently left it with God. Bring it to God and then leave it with God. Now I want to tell you, you're never going to learn about that until you stay with God. I'm thinking about a night years ago way up in the wee hours of the night. And I woke in the middle of the night. My precious wife was down by the bed crying out to God. I slid out of the bed. I put my arm around her. I said, sweetie, what's wrong? She said, my mama's lost. And I want her to get saved, but I'm afraid the devil's going to kill her before she gets saved. She said, I can't bear the thought of her going to hell. Well, we agonize with God. That was not the only night. You see, there's sometimes, if you're not careful, you can get weary and faint in your mind. We may not want to admit it tonight, but sometimes we may have said, well, maybe they're not going to get saved. It's not time to quit, though. It's not time to quit. It's time to go deeper And to seek God in a greater way than you ever have sought him before. And that supplication will help us to learn to to stay with God and pray over it specifically. And to leave it with God. By prayer and supplication 
with thanksgiving. I remember hearing a missionary that came to our church years ago tell us about Charles Weigel. Dr. Weigel was living on the campus of Tennessee Temple College during the days of Dr. Lee Robertson's pastorate of Highland Park. And he said to the students, I believe, as it was related to me as best I can recall, that some of you preacher boys ought to go down and visit with Dr. Weigel and spend time with him and pray with him. Several of the students went down and spent a visit with him one afternoon. And they said, Dr. Weigel, can we pray with you? And they shared some prayer requests and they got down around that bed and that little apartment where he lived at. While they were praying, Dr. Weigel got excited because God gave him an answer in his heart while they were praying. While they were praying together around that bed, they started feeling the bed shake. Dr. Weigel had got up on the bed and started jumping up and down and said, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Glory! Hallelujah! After he got calmed down, they said, what are you shouting about? They said, God already gave me an amen in my heart and said he was going to do what we were praying for. Amen. With thanksgiving. So you can thank God that both you and your problem are in God's hands. Safely in God's hands. I don't know what you're facing tonight, but I do know this. It'll be a lot better on you and your heart if you bring it to God and leave it with Him and then thank Him that it's in His hands. I've seen Christians live in this way and I had days in my life when I followed these principles closely. But let me remind you tonight, the Bible tells us on more than one occasion that you and I are to fret not. You know why? Because He loves you. What if your child came to you constantly nagging and doubting and questioning constantly day by day, nagging and doubting you? You would probably get irritated, would you not? I'm afraid a lot of us would lose patience. But our God is so patient with us, so long-suffering. Fret not because He loves you. Faint not because he holds you. You're in his hand. That hollows where he scooped out all the oceans. That hand that holds you is the hand that holds tomorrow. Fret not, he loves you. Faint not, he holds you. Fear not. How many times has he got to tell us that in the scripture? Fear not because he keeps you. Whatever you're facing today... Whatever problem may be troubling you today, but it can't follow you home. But it'd be better off if you had it in his hands rather than in your hands. Stand with our heads bowed tonight.